Grace and peace to everyone this morning. My name is Rob Smith, and I am privileged to serve here as one of your pastors at Christ Fellowship Church here in Williamsburg. And um, I am your, pre your preacher this morning. We're, we're told as, uh, as past pastors and elders to always have a sermon in our hip pocket, you know, in case something happens. And uh, in fact, especially Adam Messer exhorted me to do that, make sure I had one ready a few months ago. And so I won't say it was totally ready, but I had something roughed out. And yesterday, as I heard that Peter might not be here, we, we took a fresh look at it. Hopefully, this message will speak to us about the topic of the church, God's body, Christ's body. Um, and please continue to pray for Peter that he will fully recover and rejoin us soon. And we'll also rejoin the... Uh, people of Israel and the Exodus, I'm sure, when Peter gets back. But we'll take a little detour today, and we're going to be in the book of Romans. I, I call the title of this sermon, The Church, A Place for Giving and Living. The Church, A Place for Giving and Living. It's not intended to be a comprehensive study, but intended to frame a picture of how the Bible talks about the church as a body, like a, a body, like a person, like a, like a body, you know, that picture, how each member is woven together with others in the church, that they might be more together than they could ever be by themselves. More together than they could be by themselves. It seems like it's all about giving, really. God gave his son. God gives us faith. God gives us gifts to then give to others. We're going to focus especially on verses 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. But let's pause for a quick brief word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would be the teacher, your word would speak, and reach our hearts uh, to speak of those things you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, you can't really appreciate or join a church if you're not a Christian to start with. So let's talk about what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a person that the Lord has transformed. We're all born physically, obviously, but the Bible is clear that a spiritual birth is also needed. A spiritual birth is needed to become a Christian. Looking at John chapter 3, verse 3, we see Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Since you have been born again, since you have been born again, I'm sorry, yeah, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, the imperishable seed. So the spiritual birth took place when the Lord opened their eyes, the Christian. This is known as faith, to understand that they were separated from their creator, as all people are. That separation is because God is holy and perfect, while man is imperfect. We know that. God can't be in close relationship with people without this sin barrier being removed, this imperfection. Well, consider God's love for man from the book of 1 John. 1 John 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for that sin. That payment applies to a person when they recognize their personal sin, feel deep remorse for that, and turn to God to ask that, God, that Christ's work on the cross would apply to them. Consider 1 Peter, once again, chapter 3, verse 18. 
Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That puts it pretty clearly. Romans chapter 10 speaks to us about what a person must do. Looking first at verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. When this takes place, the person is forgiven of their sin, placed into the family of God. They will now live forever in the presence and company of the Lord. Well, if you're interested in learning or discussing more about how to become a Christian, please let one of us know after the service. I'd, be, I'd love to talk to you, Bryce, our elders, probably the people next to you would love to, have, to visit with you during our fellowship time. The Lord may be speaking to you this morning about becoming a Christian. And then once you are a Christian, you need a new roadmap for living. Today we'll talk about a new community that God wants you to live and grow within called the church. We'll be in a familiar chapter today to many. It's Romans chapter 12. And I hope you have a Bible that you can look on as we go. And if you don't have a Bible to look on, there are some Bibles up here in the foyer. And come grab one because you want to look at the Word. Looking at the Word is important as well as listening to the Word, okay, as the Lord will speak to you. Well, we might consider today part one of a possible two-part sermon, if I ever get another chance to preach. Um, we might cover uh, the marks of the true Christian, which are verses 9 through 21 in a part two. But today will, will be verses uh, primarily 3 through 8. I'll be in the English Standard Version this morning. The main idea <clears throat> is that God has saved us to give us purpose that is actually fulfilled in others as we connect with each other, and especially in the local church that we're members of. When we are saved, we're placed into the church, which is the body of Christ. The church is a living being, and Christ is the head of that living being. We are members. We emphasize membership at Christ Fellowship Church because it is the place where we live out being members of Christ's body. We are actually placed in his body and given gifts that we are to give to each other. This body of Christ locally is part of the universal church, but it is the place where we actually help each other grow in the Lord and show who he is to a world that is far from him. Every believer has a mission of living and giving in the context of church. We will see in this brief passage the challenge we all have of choosing to rely on self or rely on God, to live for self or live for God, and ultimately to realize that we are saved, we were saved not only for ourselves, but for others. One of the major themes of life after being born again is that we are called to live primarily for God and for others. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, listen to this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He gave all for us, that we might give all for him. He died that we might live. Now we live in him and for him. The expression of our love finds a home in the church. We grow in the good soil of truth within the church that we will carry the gospel message of truth to others, that they might also find life. 
The church is a laboratory of living, a greenhouse where the tender plants of believers are nourished, fed, and trained up in healthy growth. Well, please stand now if you're able to honor the reading of Romans chapter 12, I'll read, starting at verse 1 through, uh, through verse 8. <clears throat> And I need to grab my copy of God's Word. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to pre present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. We'll see. <laughs> I think we're good. Okay, now let's, um, so yeah, so the, f the familiar first two, ver please have a seat. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> um, the familiar first two verses of Romans chapter 12 sort of set the stage for the entire chapter. I'll reread those. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Throughout the earlier part of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has clearly made the case for grace. And grace is where all the giving starts. It starts with God as the source. We all sin. We can't save ourselves. Christ loves us so that he died as the only worthy sacrifice to atone for our sin. And by faith alone are we saved. Verse 1 shows the way we are to respond to Christ's great gift to us. We are now to lay down our lives in dedication and worship. Now, as Paul continues to instruct, we learn more about who we are once we have become a new creature in Christ. We learn how we move from being a recipient of grace alone to becoming a conduit, or you might say a pipeline for grace to others. Let's look together now more closely at uh, verses 3 through 8. Please be looking at the verses and thinking as we go. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone <clears throat> among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Well, Paul is confirming that his teaching flows from, quote, the grace given to me. It is not his own opinion alone, but the express direction of the Lord to him. And that is that it would be not just to him, but through him. This is a good reminder as we help others, <clears throat> as we provide counsel and minister to others <clears throat> to reflect on the source of our wisdom. Are we, are we help, trying to help people with our own 
wisdom alone by ourselves? Or are we relying on um, God's direction to us, his wisdom to us? Are we relying on the grace? Thank you. The grace he's providing to us. Next phrase, to everyone among you. We see that Paul has an instruction that pertains to absolutely everyone. Some instructions absolutely relate to everybody. There's some universal issue, some universal issue or problem that he's going to address. And then we see what that is in the next phrase, quote, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What is the lens we use to see ourselves? Apparently, we tend to have an elevated view of ourselves when our lens is our self-view. That tends to be, our, that's our tendency. We all tend to think of ourselves a little bit too highly. What is our measure when we think we are doing well? Do we just always carry a good feeling about ourselves because of self-love? Do we compare ourselves with others and reason we're doing better than they are in some relative way? We remember when we responded to the gospel that we learned from Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 3.10, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Even Paul, the apostle Paul, saw his failings. He says in uh, Romans chapter 7, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So we have to be on guard about how we're doing our self-evaluations. Are we looking at ourselves properly? Continuing in verse 3, the next phrase, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Consider what it is like to look at your life through the lens of faith instead of the one of self-view. The self-view we just saw that tends to think too highly of oneself. Have you begun to see evidence of God's gifting in your life? Have you ever looked at your life with the eye of faith, showing who you are as God has shown you? Have you considered what God may have had in mind when he designed you? You have strengths that serve in natural living, analytical skills, verbal or writing talent, perhaps a keen memory. Well, can you see how God may have gifted you in ways that would minister to others? Perhaps this is the, quote, measure of faith that God has assigned in that phrase. We're instructed to, quote, walk by faith and not by sight. That's from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. If faith is real trust in God, can we say that we really are trusting him to show us how we are to walk in our church relationships? Is that, is that how you operate? Others may have told you of ways that you actually are ministering. Hospitality, comfort, evangelism, teaching, encouragement, so how do you see yourself? With your, eyes with your eyes only or with the eye of faith? By the way, what eyes are you using to look at others? Believers and unbelievers. Do you look to encourage the faith in others? To help others keep their eyes on the prize of walking with and growing more like Christ? Let's move on to verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Well, the church is not an organization or it shouldn't be. It is, an, it is an organism. Remember, it's a body. Consider your personal body and all the different parts and organs and systems. None of them def defines or fully describes your identity, but each is uniquely yours and has its own purpose. Yet in some way, each part of your body is connected with and supporting the whole. Even when you have two of the same thing, like eyes and ears, 
They aren't merely backups, but they allow depth perception and location sensing working in pairs. Consider how, considering the human body and its parts, there are two important aspects for each part. Each organ or member, number one, has a vital function, and number two is connected with the rest of the body. Vital function and connection. What is the eye of faith telling you about, the, about your function? And how are you connected to the rest of the body? Function and connection. Interestingly, you may well find your function in the body by purposing to connect in different ways. You might try uh, working with children's ministry, set up, tear down, hospitality, joining a community group, meeting with another in a mentoring relationship. You, might, you may find others telling you how your life is impacting them in positive ways and find your function that way. Let me read another passage that's probably familiar on the body and its members from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. And I have this one, Bryce. For just as the body is one, this is 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Let me read that verse again. I think this is really key to this, past, this, this sermon. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. I was talking to Tom Phillips before church started, how I appreciate how God has arranged him to be here with Nadia in our church. We need his gifts, skills, and um, background. It's helping with our, our building project and property, and also our men's ministry, setting up breakfast and so forth. And God has arranged for the Phillips to be here. You know, it's really wonderful. Going on with verse 19 in that chapter, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, far, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. There must be no division in the body. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So our challenge is to find our place and connect with the body. Now on to verse 5 in chapter 12. <clears throat> so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Christ Fellowship, you may never have made the connection between the members as discussed here and church membership, but I believe it exists. We covenant as church members to exhort, encourage, comfort, and care for each other. But whose body are we members of? Are we members of the Christ Fellowship Church Williamsburg body? I would say yes. But a greater truth is that we are, as it says in verse 9, <clears throat> one body in Christ. We are actually members of Christ's body. 
It's an unbelievable concept. It's amazing. It's overwhelmingly true and powerful. We are actually members of Christ's body, and we are members of one another. Look again at just at 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or great Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If Christ fellowship is the church that you consider home and you are saved, this is the place where you have direct contact regularly with other believers. Please consider membership if you haven't already become a member. Moving on to verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, well, God pours out his grace with unique purpose for each member of his body, the church. The Bible tells us that God has more thoughts about each of his children than can be counted. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. That's from Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. He tells us in Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, as Jeremiah 29, 11. Surely his thoughts and plans include his gifts given to us to serve his body, the church, including this local family of faith. Look at the next phrase, in prophecy, if, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. The gift of speaking forth the word of God, prophecy is wonderful, that we might have the privilege of helping one another grow in understanding faith, and Christ-likeness. But our sharing of the word must always be rooted in faith. This faith is how we understand by the work of the Holy Spirit and how we have grace to share the truth of the word. Moving to verse 7. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, serving is underrated in our culture. We emphasize winning, leading, striving to be number one. But what did Jesus say to his disciples? It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, from Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28. <clears throat> it is the highest of callings to serve, to put others before rather than below yourself. Let's get to know each other well enough to understand how to serve each other. And what is our goal in serving? That we all might grow more like Christ as we serve and as we are served, that we might take steps toward him through it all. And in teaching, the second part of this uh, verse, isn't, isn't even that really being the instrument of God? Not to teach anything of man or of self by itself, there's plenty of teaching and learning the ways of this life and the ways of men, but God has much to teach us of himself, and sometimes he uses the minds, hearts, and voices of men to connect his truth with us, that we would learn of him and be drawn to know him better. Let's move on down to verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, the one who exhorts. We need to be pushed like a coach. 
who wants his players to push through fatigue and pain to finish the race or win the game. We don't like discipline and we tend toward comfort. We need to be exhorted to press through, remembering the prize is found on the other side of life when we are directly before God. In this life, we are growing more like Christ and we need to bring out the best in each other. As Proverbs 27, 17 describes, iron sharpening iron. Do you have someone who exhorts you personally and whom you also sharpen? The one who contributes. As God taps him or her on the shoulder to see a need and also to see his resources being applied to that need as the steward of God's treasure. The one who leads with zeal. If one is to lead in the ways of, ways of God, it ought to be with the passion that comes from standing on the rock of Christ and pointing to the God of creation to say, follow me, and we will find victory in the Lord. People are looking for leaders who both serve and inspire to pursue Christ. Energy that comes from conviction, conviction that comes from spending much time with the Lord in his word and in his work. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. To have the joy of the Lord when reaching out to those who suffer, not out of a sense of obligation. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us that God showed his great love by sending his son, his only son, to die for you and me while we were still sinners. And scripture tells us that Jesus went willingly to his death for the joy set before him. So in conclusion, what is the joy set before you? Do you see how God is the great giver, the giver of life, including eternal life, by giving his son? He has placed us in his body, called the church, and there we help each other grow and walk in healthy living. When the world sees the church, when the world sees Christ's fellowship church of Williamsburg, they are looking at Christ's living body. What a humbling challenge to realize that our church is not just not for ourselves. We show the living God to the unbelieving community and the world around us, and we co-labor with other churches who share, who share his life. What is your personal conviction about membership in church? Do you realize that membership in our local church is a direct reflection of the fact that you've been placed in the body of Christ and called to give the gifts he's given you to the believers in this church? Remember the words of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If you are a regular attender of Christ Fellowship Church and consider this your church home, have you taken steps to become a member? Are you committed to putting others first and taking joy from helping them grow closer to Christ? to become more like him, to find ways, find ways to connect with others in our church. Ask God to show his gifts that you can give others. Let's commit to being a healthy and whole body that truly shows the reality of our living Lord, that he would be glorified through our lives and in our church. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for the gift of your body for our, for our behalf, and thank you for the gift of the body of Christ now that you have placed us in. Help us, Lord, not to live lives, even as Christians, that are just for ourselves, that we would know more, that we would um, grow in personal maturity, Lord, but help us have a vision for one another, that, Lord, we as a church would grow, that we would be healthy, that we would reflect you to a world that desperately needs to see the living God. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to truly be the body that you would have us to be at Christ Fellowship Church. In Jesus' name, amen.